In late June, I joined Sonia Richmond and Sean Martin on the Hamilton to Brantford Rail Trail, part of the Canada-wide Great Trail, for a socially distanced hiking conversation. We talked about their ongoing cross-Canada hike for birds. You can learn more about their hike on the website comewalkwithus.online or search the hashtag hikeforbirds, and that's with the number four, hike for birds. My name is Rob, and this is Songbirding, and I'm here with... Sonia Richmond. And Sean Morton. And uh, what brings you to Dundas today? Well, we're, we're hiking this section of the Trans-Canada, or the Great Trail. It's part of what we hope will be a four-year hike for birds across Canada. So we started last year on June 1st, 2019, um, in Cape Spear, Newfoundland. And we're hiking west to Victoria. British Columbia and then after that we will hike up north to Tuktoyuktuk. How long do you think it'll take to get to Tuktoyuktuk? That's a long way to go. We're hoping the, the entire track will take us four years and we're in our second year now. Okay so 2022? 2022. Okay. Before the winter we hope. <laughs> and uh, so how, how's it been so far? It's been absolutely amazing. <laughs> the different kinds of habitats we've gone through, the wildlife, the people we've had a chance to talk to. It's been an absolutely amazing adventure so far. So what's your favorite bit of wildlife you've seen so far? That's a really hard question. <laughs> I know, it's a tough one for me usually too. Um, I guess one of the most exciting things was seeing a herd of caribou up um, in the top sails in Newfoundland. Wow. Um, I'd never seen caribou before, so that was a first. Yeah. We've seen bears along the trail, moose, foxes, and I think before we got into Ontario, we were at something like 160 species of birds. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a good count. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for staying on the trail, like we're just on this little ribbon um, of the Great Trail. It's pretty, it's been pretty exciting. Wow. Um, so what kind of birds have you seen so far? All together. I mean, we... Newfoundland was fantastic for warblers and we were walking through there in okay. June so it was nesting season okay and we got to see lots of different um, many yellow rumps many yellow warblers yeah. <laughs> morning warblers things like that um, when we got to Nova Scotia we spent quite a bit of time walking around um, the Bay of Fundy and we were there during shorebird season so we saw oh, fun. lots of different shorebirds out there um, we were in New Brunswick. Um, we were walking along the St. John River and we had a good chance to see quite a bit of migrating waterfowl, wood okay. ducks and northern pintails and stuff like that. Oh wow, that's fun. Um, so that was 2019, a lot of that. that <laughs> yeah, and uh, how's 2020 <laughs> been different? <laughs> well, so far. I mean, some of the most exciting things for us was going through the Frontenac region. Okay. And we got to see a lot of bobolinks and eastern meadowlarks. Okay. And I haven't seen a lot of those before now. So okay. Really exciting <laughs> um, for us, but we've actually had a chance to go through quite a few different habitats in Ontario. Um, so it, it has been interesting. We've seen sort of wood ducks and a great horned owl was definitely a highlight. <laughs>
My name is Rob, and this is Songbirding. So what's the uh, purpose of this trip? So we're trying to encourage um, youth especially, but people of all ages and backgrounds and abilities and genders and orientations and identities to just get outside and reconnect with nature. And we're trying to do that through birding and citizen science. And we're sharing our blogs, our photos, Instagram, Twitter. We're sharing the journey in all those ways, hoping to just show people what an amazing country they live in and all the different kinds of nature and wildlife and birds they can see if they step outside. So Sean, how's it been so far for you? It's been incredible. I've been stunned by everything we've seen. We were fortunate a year ago to get out with Jared Clark of Bird the Rock in Newfoundland and we got to see a colony of puffins, we got to see a colony of northern gannets in Cape St. Mary's, which yeah. was incredible. Um, and since then, the wildlife and the birds that we've seen have been amazing, almost on a daily basis. So what's your favorite wildlife so far? I think I'm a sucker for puffins and some of the Atlantic birds, because I'd never seen them before. Uh, Me neither, yeah. I, I would love that. But we've been fortunate this year too. A lot of the different colored warblers and things that we've found have been really exciting too to see. It's kind of unusual. We, we didn't know how much we would see being stuck on this small band of trail going across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems that these corridors of wildlife and green space are absolutely amazing places to come out birding. Especially in places like Hamilton, where in my mind, Hamilton often is an industrial city and you don't expect to find such lush amounts of life and such high bird populations right in the city core. So what, uh, what's the most interesting thing you've learned so far? I think that people are truly amazing. Uh, we've met a lot of people along the way that didn't really have a connection with birding beforehand and seemed to pick it up very quickly. And we've met a lot of people along the way who, I suppose on first glance, you wouldn't think were interested in nature or interested in people hiking, and they wind up helping out so much. Certainly so much more than you would believe if you only listened to the news, I suppose. Yeah. Huh. Where's the most interesting place you've had to stay so far? We stayed in a haunted jail cell, actually, <laughs> in New Brunswick. <laughs> How was that? It was um, unnerving. It yeah. was a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh... <laughs> hey, guys. I'm more behind us. Thank you. Yep. So, it was a beautiful, beautiful place, the haunted jail cell in New Brunswick. Um, and it had been converted over into being a hostel, but we were the only uh, alive residents that night. <laughs> and it was somewhat daunting to have the trap door for the uh, executions above the bed and everything. <laughs> it, it was good. That's definitely different. <laughs> so it's been different about each province we've been through so far. I think the landscape has changed, but you also notice the culture changing, not only from province to province, but from city to city. But the consistent thing has been the hospitality of Canadians along the way. That's nice.
Before you started this uh, hike, what did you both do? I was a librarian at a university, and Sonia was a GIS analyst for Bird Studies Canada. Now, Birds Canada, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, how are you finding the time off, I guess? <laughs> it's been wonderful. Um, yeah, it's been truly, truly incredible to have the opportunity and the privilege to walk across the country. Yeah. A lot of people, when they see us, we're kind of sweaty and grueling and whatever else. <laughs> But when you stop and realize that we've got the opportunity to see the country from coast to coast to coast and to enjoy it and to spend time birding, of course, yeah, uh, there's not much to complain about. So where's the best spot been for birding so far? Oh, that varies from province to province. Yeah, <laughs> it also varies in the time of year that you would have been in those areas too, I'm guessing. Yes. I suppose out, out east in Newfoundland, we had Cape St. Mary's and Bonavista where we visited which were incredible, and Whitless Bay. Yeah. Um, in Cape Breton and Nova Scotia, we were along the Celtic Seashore Trail and Coal Harbor around Halifax, which was incredible. Yeah. In Prince Edward Island, the coast and the uh, shoreline around Charlottetown were wonderful when we visited mm -hmm. there. <laughs> We had a wonderful opportunity in New Brunswick to see Sackville, yeah. which is the home to Birds Canada's Atlantic office, but also has this wonderful huge waterfowl marsh, yeah. which we spent several days in. Yeah. And I suppose so far, well, I guess there's Ontario as well. We haven't found the best place in Ontario yet. We'll have to get back to you. <laughs> That's good. How much longer are you guys going to be in Ontario then? I think six to eight more weeks. Yeah. I think so. It's a big province. <laughs> it is indeed, yes. So, Sonia, where's your favorite place been so far? I don't think I asked that one yet. My favorite place overall? Yeah, so far on the trail. Probably Prince Edward Island. Yeah. What'd you like about it? It had an absolutely gorgeous trail. Um, it was maintained to very high standards. A lot of people go there to cycle. And so there's a lot of bed and breakfasts along the trail. PEI has an amazing food culture that goes with its outdoor recreation. So there's a lot of cideries and wineries and just local food restaurants and stuff like that. And then the trail there took us through a huge variety of different habitats. So there was some shore and the red sandy beaches. Yeah. So there were you know, different shorebirds and an incredible number of great blue herons. And we walked through marshes and forested sections and then these open rolling agricultural hills. So it was really interesting from like a wildlife and birding yeah. point of view as well. Oh, that would be fun. Um, so just the whole thing combined was <laughs> <laughs> a really a lot of fun. Even though we visited two days after Hurricane Dorian went through. Oh no. <laughs> wreaked havoc on the Port Island. Yeah. So do you encounter any bad weather other than that? Not really. We've been incredibly lucky. Our first day on the trail when we started the East Coast Trail, it was June and there was a snowstorm, <laughs> which was unexpected. It would be. Um, but apart from that, we've been pretty lucky. Um, the bad weather we've had, we've managed to be inside or somewhere secure. Okay. Um, so we haven't actually been out um, in anything that's been too serious. What was the hardest part of the trail to do so far? I think I'd have to say the hardest part was 
walking down to Halifax. Oh, okay. Because that was two to three hundred kilometers of road walking on relatively busy highways. Oh. And it was extremely hot when we were there. Yeah. Um, so it was nice countryside, but just walking on roads is not really our favorite. No. So the trail is is connected, yeah. but it's not necessarily <laughs> completed as like a hiking path. There's yeah. sections that are meant to be cycled yeah. and that are on roads. And that was probably one of the more challenging sections. any problems with mosquitoes so far or anything like that? Surprisingly not. I think those four days of like 38 degree weather we had <laughs> at the beginning of May kind yeah. of set things back a little bit and then we spent the last week crossing Toronto so yeah or the GTA I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That didn't have bad mosquitoes. Just, just That's good. City. That's good. Yeah. We've been, so far we've been very fortunate. <laughs> So this is the first section you've been in that has Carolina Wren, the one singing right now? We saw them on the other, near Peterborough. Okay, that's good. Yeah. They're really expanding over the years, so yeah. I don't know what the range is now. How much time do you get for birding when you're hiking out, generally? Well, it depends. I mean, we're, we're constantly looking and listening, but sometimes we'll run into, you know, a clump of really interesting stuff and sometimes we'll be there for an hour or so. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. I've done a lot of long sits to get recordings of things or even just to get photos of things. So do you usually, when you encounter birds, is it usually by sight or by sound that tends to... Uh... I'd say probably more by sound. Yeah. I don't always know exactly what I'm hearing. Yeah. But that's usually a clue to look. Yeah. Sometimes we'll just see stuff erupting out of the side of the trail that hasn't made any noise. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a bit of both, but I mean, now that the leaves and everything are out, it's more by sound, I'd say. Yeah, I'd imagine. How many people do you usually encounter on the trails? Like, is this a typical section here where we're seeing a couple people every couple minutes or so? Or? Probably for in the city, yes. Yeah. Um, it really varies. Like if these sort of in, inner city rail trails um, tend to be pretty busy. Yeah. Especially on weekends. Um, <laughs> but the sections that are sort of out, out in the country more or more than say 10 kilometers from the town. Yeah. Then we'll generally see one or two people maybe a day. That's on the biking. Okay. It, it really depends how close <laughs> we are to the town. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. You know that I tend to, myself, when I'm looking for birding spots, I tend to try to avoid people so that I can not have the birds be spooked so easily. So yep. that seems to line up with the kind of areas I tend to look for <laughs> away from the towns and cities. One of the things we've been surprised to find out, I mean, when we talk to nature groups and we talk to classrooms, yeah. one of the things we're trying to promote is that you don't have to be an expert and you don't have to have expensive tents and things or expensive binoculars to go birding. This stuff comes to your backyard. 
Yeah. And we kind of started saying that at the beginning, thinking it, it sounds good. Yeah. But as we've hiked, in fact, it's proven to be very true that yeah. things do come to people's backyards. And I mean, this trail alone is proof of that. We're basically walking along the back yards of people's homes. Yeah. And so all this nature is there as well. And so while a lot of us are fortunate to be able to get out into wilderness and into nature where it's more isolated to see birds, there are a lot of species right now in that area. I think of like, yeah, like, uh, say it's a it's easy to access the more easy to access this stuff than people realize because it is um there is a you know there is a cost to binoculars but uh um you generally have them for life once you have them and sometimes you can find someone willing to who you know may have a pair but doesn't actually go birding or anything to borrow from or something Definitely. um even this recording equipment i'm using is like 100 to 200 dollars <laughs> using and i record birds no problem with it um and uh cameras definitely gotten much cheaper since oh when i was you know <laughs> uh, before i went to university or anything you know it was unheard of a digital camera that was uh, i don't know if there was very many of them at all let alone inexpensive and able to gain such huge reach in uh, um, such a low price point. Yes. Um, so it's a lot of birding is way more accessible now. Um, whereas it used to be you kind of needed a mentor before um, to guide you along at various times. Now you can snap a photo and upload it and get an opinion in sometimes seconds as to what bird you saw. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah, some of the online resources like iNaturalist and eBird and some of the other products from Cornell uh, yeah. have been incredible even for helping us. Sonia is a so-called expert working at Birds Canada, and yet she continually turns to iNaturalist for assistance. And it's wonderful how quickly you can connect with other birders and yeah. learn that way. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, always come across something and second-guessing myself having other opinions quickly it's very effective for uh, learning yes um you think so what's an example of something you came across and you weren't sure what it was and you had to look it up there have been many yeah i guess a recent one is a broad wing top okay good so it's flying um a lot of gulls i use it for i'm really not oh yes very good at distinguishing unless it's like a breeding male yep then i'm not skilled at telling them apart i use uh, it a lot for that <laughs> how was it when you were shore birding on the east coast uh, we use it a lot for them too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i could i could imagine that would uh, require some patience and uh, yeah. good photos good description yeah i mean we're lucky because we have the Sean's carrying a camera that can take a good enough photo to get yeah to help get an ID um, <laughs> on it. Yeah, we definitely use them for shorebirds a lot. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, any um, non-bird species you had to look up using it? Okay. Naturalist. Uh, the purple purple the Newfoundland pine martin. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure. We knew it was sort of in the weasel kind of Martin family, but we didn't yeah. know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
use it for that. Lots of insects. Um, yeah. Butterflies and things like that. I naturalist for. It's often what I end up using I naturalist for a lot is yeah. insects and wildflowers. I guess mushrooms as well. Oh, mushrooms, when yeah. There was a huge section in the last fall, there were mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. They were really cool looking. Didn't know anything about them. So yeah. We used a naturalist for that as well. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So do you notice going from, let's say, the east coast to here, we just had a song sparrow singing there. Do you notice the song changing as you go across the coast? The species? A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always find it fascinating. I haven't traveled too much, but the places I have gone, you do hear a regional dialect in various species. We have noticed that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a little quieter today because it's hot and mid-afternoon. So, mm -hmm. little less bird song that I'm used to. <laughs> Have you found that during COVID, um, there's a lot more interest in nature and birding? Yeah, um, definitely. The, uh, the, I, I check the podcast analytics once in a while, and I noticed at first a hit to how often people listened at first, and it's probably the daily commute right. for podcasts went down suddenly, okay. but then eventually just went back up. and. I've talked to other podcasters who do similar or different genres. They've reported the same kind of thing. People got used to their new normal and then started um, looking things up and trying to find new things. Well, um, it must be a real opportunity for you at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's It changed things because originally I was going to kind of wrap up with my second season of recordings in mid-April uh, and do recordings in spring and summer to release in the fall and winter. But uh, with COVID, I decided to take the stuff I'd recorded already in spring and just start releasing it. Um, partly it's something to do when I can't go out as much or to the places I normally go to. Um, partly because it seemed like, well, this makes sense. Uh, people have been seeking out as a relaxation thing, but also as a way to identify what they're starting to see in their backyards now that people are home more. So <laughs> have the numbers stayed stable as people have started to return to work? Or have they I think out? so. Um, yeah, they've been stable. That's good. Yeah. Seems to be interest. It's uh, not something I could have predicted exactly how it would go. Um, such an odd format I do. <laughs> There's not much out there like it. Um, and I think the one thing I did predict, but I just didn't know how much of a factor it would be, the number of people who are not birders who listen to it. Um, it's a significant number. I don't know how many, but it's a pretty significant audience. Um, it's your format works then. Or it's a it works, Yeah, it's minimal to like, I've had several people tell me, oh, I listen to this to relax or 
before I go to sleep or something. You're reaching out to non-birders. That's yeah, a big thing. It is. It is, I think. I mean, part of the genesis of this was a discussion within nature groups and Birds Canada. Yeah. Um, of getting beyond the sort of the sounding box of birds groups yeah. and birders. Yeah. And trying to attract new people to it. Yeah. And it's every nature group we meet, it seems to be their central challenge at the moment. It is. Um, so you've done something a lot of others aren't doing or being able to do. Yeah, and uh, what I'm hoping is that, you know, trying to put out there how I'm doing these so that there can be other people doing this. Um, you know, hopefully it'd be nice if someone took it up on the West Coast, there's different bird species or South Coast, wherever, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere else in the world. Um, I can only cover what's around here, <laughs> really. And only at certain times of the year are they here, so. It's a bit of an annual cycle, too. I think people also don't realize how much work it is, too. Yeah. It took us by surprise. I mean, we hiked the Bruce Trail and the Dew Trail and yeah. parts of Europe. And so you write for 30 days and it's done. Yeah. Writing every night and putting out postings every night is a bit more. Oh, yeah. Daunting. <laughs> yeah. The actual recording isn't too bad. It's the editing um, and placing things together. That's, that's when you... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's tough, and uh, that's partly how I actually found my format too. Because for years I wanted to do something, but all the formats I could think of at the time were very complex. Would have involved a mix of interviews, recordings, probably scripted parts, and it was just too much for spare time thing and. And one day I basically went out and thought, well, why don't I record a sample of the field recording part of it and see how that would go. And it didn't take more than a few minutes into it, I realized, well, this could just be the whole thing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. That's the podcast. That's it. Like that part. And I can have something out right away. And, you know, short matter of time. And I sent it out to a few people before I went out, though, so that I could get feedback. And that helped a lot. Um, got some good crit critical feedback, always important. <laughs> yes. And that uh, shaped it a fair bit. Um, and that's right now one of the challenges as well too is um, I don't get a lot of critical feedback right now so if I make changes at any time to format or anything it's all a guess to me right now <laughs> whether it's going to make it better or not. Well, that's so. We're, our hike is like that too. Neither yeah. one of us is technologically adept. Yeah. I'm used to, you know, you take a thousand pictures and you've got weeks or months to take go through them. Yeah. And now we turn them every day. So if we have 1,500 pictures a day, they're, they're edited by one in the morning. Yeah. Because to put them out, it's, uh, yeah, you don't get a lot of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. we also have made up so much of this i mean obviously following how other people like audubon have done things or, yep but it's just making it up as it goes and if yep. it works it works if it doesn't mm -hmm. that's, that's all you can try definitely part of it um i've tried like i previously done a few months before i started this one i had done one that was just soundscapes like automated recording units or just standing there and recording and I think that's in part why 
maybe why nobody's come up with this format in the past is I had this mental block of, well, as a recordist, you want to remove yourself from the recording right. entirely. So it never occurred to me to narrate live in the field, for example. Because, <laughs> no, you don't talk as a recordist. You don't say anything. You narrate later yeah. or something like that. You layer things over. But uh, once I broke that barrier, then it became obvious. And then I was like, well, why didn't anybody do this when I mean, you could have been doing this 20 years ago in theory? You could get field recorders then that were even digital. You could get them then and a good mic. And you could have done that. Um, but it just hadn't been thought of because the, you know, you just need to be uh, sometimes being restricted and um, trying to do something quick and on the fly gives you something new and mm -hmm. interesting to do. Well, it's good that the birding world is open to it, too. Yeah. The other reason the audio recording thing has worked well is because birding by ear is kind of the um, thing that everybody thinks is super difficult. Uh, and it you know, can be, of course, in circumstances. It's just um, like people are, in our culture, much more used to visual, um, learning things by sight more than by ear in general. I'm not very good at doing anything by ear. Once <laughs> I see it visually, I'm fine. But... Yeah. And so, yeah, part of it was that too, that, you know, there's not much resources out there for learning by ear. At least I didn't find a lot because what you often found was small snippets of recordings that have been used for decades at this point. Um, but they're all removed from their context. So you can get recordings of red-eyed vireos, no problem, but you won't get a soundscape of red-eyed vireos with the other birds that they are with usually and the other the type of sound that is usually around them like the deep forest sound <laughs> yeah kind of get. that valley we were doing the birds trail yeah and it was really really busy going through at the oh yeah the train station area yeah yeah that's just up here all right the old train station oh there's a pine warbler up in here so not this might be that one too there was another one on this side that i think is pine warbler be chipping though. I know there's lots of chipping sparrows along here. But there was a uh, bird up on the left here that was guaranteed pine warbler. There, that one. Yeah. They tend to get louder and quieter during their song. That one I could go either way with. That would be chipping or pine warbler. <laughs> hmm. Did you see either of them? You could see either here.
Oh, what is that? Really blue head. Yeah. What? That's... Go down that way. Yeah. What would have a blue head? <laughs> I'm glad you got photos, because... That reminded me of a Junko, but there shouldn't be Junkos here. I don't... You didn't have any white or the white stomach. No. I don't think. No, it just, it reminded me of a Jungkook as the hood seemed to have, but blue instead of... <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting if you just happened to stop here and find rare bird? Okay, I can't think of what would be that... Like I'm thinking blue-headed grosbeak would be one thing, but I don't know if that was big enough. Yeah, he was small. Yeah. Almost, I thought it was a flycatcher at first. I no. I mean, around that size, but not that look to it. I don't know if I... Oh, this is going to be confusing to me. Not often I get stumped looking at a bird. Does that? Oh, you know what? It's a molting um, indigo bunting. He's not fully molted yet. Oh. That's really late for him to be molting into. Maybe it's a, I guess, second year bird. I mean, I've seen them like that in May, but late June? <laughs> That's a little unusual. Let me sneak ahead here. No. I'm noticing more pine warblers this year, but then again, because I'm recording a lot, I'm noticing a lot more of everything. <laughs> I can imagine. There's something about recording that... Um, Draws your attention. Yeah, you notice every little thing, and then you stop more often in spots to listen, and you find more things that people don't usually notice. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm on a bit of a, a streak of finding hooded warblers in various locations where... I've never really seen them much before outside that one spot in Dundas Valley. But now I've found them in multiple locations in Halton region, uh, multiple down in Mor Norfolk. Um, yeah, the broad-winged hawk the other day. Um, I wouldn't have known to find hawks by ear before, but this time, because I had encountered them last year um, by ear, <laughs> and they're very noticeable broad-winged hawks by ear because they have a very loud shriek, like an alarm's going off. Um, I heard one way up in the air, I think it was yesterday, and I was like, oh, I know that. That's the male broadwing hawk, even, you know? Uh, screaming. <laughs> very loud screaming. Not quite that scream, which I think is there's a red-tailed hawk in here. A young one. But uh, first encountered them, I thought it was a young bird, but it turned out it's the adults actually that do the screaming, not the young ones with the broad wings. So, <laughs> yeah, if you go up here, maybe because they do this thing where they not only get quieter and louder, but they sometimes speed up and slow down just very subtly. They don't do it all the time, which is where the chipping sparrow overlap. It gets frustrating. 
You definitely had chipping sparrows at the beginning where I met you because they were just on the trail, walking around. So that's the red-tailed hawk. Yeah, the feed me call. <laughs> Oh, here's a monarch. I think this is the first monarch I've seen this year. Yeah, so, we didn't get a chance to get an appeal either if you were to Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, I've seen a viceroy this year, but not a monarch, so. I think that's the first monarch. We have a huge blossom of milkweeds in our backyard this year, so. Very nice. I uh, have avoided mowing part of our lawn because it decided to spread onto the lawn, so. <laughs> work and it's a butterfly yeah. garden. Yeah. It works out perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I almost bet that there's both Chipping Sparrow and Pine Warbler here because there is the um, railway station thing and it's kind of a human cleared area, which is what chipping sparrows like too. Yeah. Lots of vireo. <laughs> That, that one sounds consistent. Maybe a chipping sparrow. If there's a pine warbler, it's probably over on this side. Oh. It's probably the indigo buntings doing all that ticking. Yeah. Bet you they have a nest somewhere near here. Yeah, yeah. So what's a typical day like? That's a good question. Um, each day we're normally up around sunrise at 6 or 7. Uh, we have breakfast, we pack up and clean up and begin hiking 7.30 or 8. And then we hike throughout most of the day, stopping around 5 or 6 at night. And that's about the time after 35 kilometers, most people want to just lay down and die, mostly. <laughs> You're pretty exhausted, especially with this heat. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually the time we go back to work. And we start processing pictures, we start writing the blog, putting out Instagram posts. Um, to put that into perspective, last year we took 139,000 pictures and wrote over 400 pages of blog entries in 165 days on the trail. So wow. it adds up for a little bit. So, but each day does vary from place to place, but generally it's a fairly full day. Wow. <laughs> That's a fair bit. <laughs> That's why we have that much more gray hair now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone was asking you how they could get involved in citizen science or observing nature. What would you say? I'd say one of the best places to start would be to download one of the free apps like iNaturalist. 
Um, it works for birds, but it works for pretty much anything that you can see in nature. Butterflies, wildflowers, plants, trees, you name it. It's really simple to use. You just take a photo of whatever you're looking at, upload it to the app, and you'll get um, help identifying it. You can compare the picture you took to a series of photos the app will present, make your identification, and then you'll share your photo with somebody from the iNaturalist community and get confirmation of what you've seen. Um, and you're not only doing something fun and learning something about what you just saw, but you're also contributing to citizen science so that that photo becomes data that's used by scientists to help us monitor our wildlife populations all across Canada. So you're making a huge contribution to conservation at the same time. So I would say start with the free app and just okay. go out and have fun. Nice. So what's the next session, next section of the trail for you? We have here, which is in Hamilton and Dundas on our way to Brantford. And then we're headed up to Barrie. So we'll weave back over Northern Toronto again. And then we head up to Aurelia, then Northern Ontario. After that, we're not quite sure ourselves. <laughs> we'll see if we backtrack and cover the sections of Quebec we couldn't do with COVID this year, or whether we keep heading west and start in Quebec next year. It's a mystery to us day to day. Yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Well, I wish you luck and uh, yeah. Um, so uh, if people are interested, where how can they connect with you? So we have a website. Um, www.comewalkwithus.online um, You can visit the website. Our blog is up there. You can read a little bit more about us and our adventure um, and the trail itself. And you can also find information on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts are on there as well. Excellent. Well, good luck. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you for coming out in the yeah. stifling heat today. Oh yeah, no problem. Songbirding, Hike for Birds, was recorded and edited by me, Rob Porter, with special guests Sonia Richman and Sean Morton. The Creative Commons music for this episode was from the Wikimedia Commons and was created by Azai. You can learn more about Hike for Birds at the website comewalkwithus.online or search the hashtag hike for the number four birds. That is hashtag hike for birds.